0: And so Jesus asked them, what were you discussing that was so important on the way here? And everybody was silent. Nobody said a thing. Because as Mark tells us, they were arguing who was the greatest. And now the text doesn't tell us why they were silent about it, but it's not very hard to relate they were embarrassed. They were feeling guilty. They were feeling ashamed because up until this point in their journey and in their following with Mark, Jesus continually had been preaching to them and teaching them that in order to follow him, in order to be one of his followers, they must be thinking of others more than they think of themselves. They must be servants. Jesus says he came to be a servant, not to be served. And Jesus talks to them about the suffering that they would have to endure for following. Jesus describes how him coming down from heaven required him to give up all of his status. And he was going to be killed for what he did. He humbled himself to the lowest of low, becoming one of the least of these for our sake. And yet here the disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest and so as Jesus confronts them and and they fall silent because the disciples know what Jesus has been teaching them but the cultural values that instinct that they've been taught all through their their childhood up and through adulthood is the message that life is all about how much status and power you can accumulate and that was still the driving force of their thoughts even though Jesus had taught them to seek the opposite innately in their in their instincts and their desires was to go back to what they had been learning since they were a kid and when Jesus calls them out on this they realize oh yeah that is the opposite of everything you've been talking about when I was in my first chemistry class and we were getting the instructions for um, our first experiment in the laboratory our chemistry teacher was teaching us the method of when you want to smell something in the lab, you don't just stick your nose into the test tube and take a sniff because there could be acid or very, or really strong bases or something that could do bad things to your nose and, and your skin and everything else. And so instead, you kind of waft it towards you so you can get a little bit of a scent without the danger of things splashing on you. And so as she gets done, she turns us off to go to our labs. And sure enough, the first time I need to smell something take that test tube, stick my nose right in it and take a smell. And the teacher sees me and says, "Mylin, no. What are you doing? I just told you not to do that. And I was realized it and, oh, yeah. The instinct, that I, when I wanted to smell things up until that point, I'd always just put my nose near it to smell it. But, and so this, this teaching, even though I just heard it, my instincts were what I was thinking of when I, I had so many other things going on. And the same is going on here with the disciples. This teaching from Jesus was totally different from what they had done all the way up until their lives, how they had thought all the way up until this point because they were in a Jewish culture obsessed with where they were ranked and with their status and Jesus taught them to seek the opposite. But they needed iterations of this. They needed to learn this time and time again. And so even though Jesus had just said it, they went right back to what the culture had taught them immediately after he was saying those things. And Jesus' message of service over seeking the worldly definition of greatness is similarly countercultural for us today. Because even though in our culture we promote service, we see going and doing things of service, such as a soup kitchen or 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 helping out a homeless soldier, we see those as good things. We should go this. We commend people for doing those things. But the thing is, is that often when we're doing those things, we do it for the purpose of glorifying ourselves. When we talk to our kids and we say, hey, it'd be a great thing for you to go do community service because it looks good on your college resume. Or our politicians will tell elaborate stories of how they've been helping out or they've been in these situations where they've helped out someone who's unfortunate or they have a relationship with somebody who's in an unfortunate situation, but they use it to help them get elected into an office of status and power and prestige and influence. Or even within the church, we go on mission trips, and we love to go on mission trips, but then we also love to post pictures of us with the poor and the helpless and the unfortunate kids or people that we are helping out. And in many ways, those mission trips are great. We're serving, and it's great because it helps feed our sense that we are saviors. Helping out those poor, unfortunate people instead of realizing just how much they are helping us and teaching us instead. Learning how to go against this cultural instinct to seek status, power, and, and wealth for ourselves and instead be servants is very countercultural, very against the instincts and the desires that we have been taught, that we have seen throughout our lives. And Why? Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to put ourselves and in, in, in suffer and do things that don't benefit us in order to make others' lives easier and not have anything good happen necessarily for us, not have any benefit for our own lives? Why would we do something that is totally and completely selfless? Well, Jesus addresses that in verses 35 and 36. Jesus answers our question by saying, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Which, I mean, there it is, right? There's that greatness that we're all still secretly desiring. Because now, what Jesus is saying, if we follow the way Jesus is saying we're servants here on earth, then we get to be first in the kingdom of heaven after being last here on earth. And, And let's face it, What's being la- what, what is What 75 years-ish of being last if you get to be first for eternity? If you get to wield the power and the influence and the positions of authority in heaven over everybody for all of eternity, sure, I can, I can be last on earth here for, for my lifetime. I can suffer through that. But what does it mean to be first or greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, if you're like me, your picture of greatness, and when, when I've read this verses before and I've pictured that and I thought of that, okay, I get to be first in the kingdom of heaven, I thought, I'll get the biggest mansion. People will be serving me. I'll be in that position of authority. I'll be praised by everyone else that's there who, who's not first, who's second, third, or fourth, or whatnot. But this isn't the picture of greatness that Jesus means when he says first. He doesn't, mean, he doesn't mean greatest in the terms of, of status and power and wealth. When he's talking about great, greatness, he's not talking about the worldly concept of greatness and not just transposing that to heaven. No, instead, he gives the disciples an illustration to teach this point. He takes a child and gathers the child in his arms and he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. And this is his picture of greatness in, the God, in God's kingdom. Not power, not status, not influence over everyone else, but the willingness to get down on the same level as a kid, as a child, to take them in, their ar- in your arms and to spend the time necessary to develop that relationship with them, to show them the love and the name of Jesus. And it's really telling that you're doing this with a child, because by definition, a child is someone who can't provide for their own needs. And so adults have to do it for them. And in order to do that, we have to put the needs and the desires of that child first in order to supply them, because... Otherwise, they'd go without. We can't just be thinking of ourselves. We have to be thinking of that child first. And so when Jesus gives this picture of greatness in the kingdom of God, it's this picture of loving someone in the name and through the love of Jesus in a way that puts their needs and their desires first. And the greatness that results, well, you receive Jesus. And not only him, but the Father as well. We don't receive power, we don't get status, we don't get influence, prestige, or money, but we do, in fact, receive a relationship that is deeper and it's more loving than anyone else could possibly provide or anything else could possibly provide. It's an intimacy with the one who created us, with the one who knows us deeply and who has chosen us. Uh, When Mr. Rogers was alive and doing his show, uh, he had a number of in-house writers who would help him out with writing the stories and the shows and whatnot. And one of the writers tells a story of when uh, Mr. Rogers enlisted her to write a manual intended to teach doctors on how to talk to children. And so she related how she worked very hard on this manual. She used all of her education and all of her experience in the field of childhood development, and she put together this nice, long, really well-put-together, well-thought-out document. And when she handed it to him, he read through her opening, and he crossed it all out. And he wrote six words. You were once a child, too. Hmm. I think Mr. Rogers' words there embodied what Jesus was teaching incredibly well. That each one of us knows what it means and what it feels like to have needs, to need to be loved that we can't meet for ourselves. We know what it's like to be a child and to be dependent on somebody else and what it's like to think like a child because we've all been one the need for someone to be willing to take the time to develop a relationship with us and to show love to us and not do it because it benefits them, but just for the mere fact of them wanting to love us. Because as Paul writes in in Galatians 3.26, and we read this throughout the New Testament, we are in fact children now through Jesus, through what he did on the cross when he came and he died for us and he gave us a new life, he adopted us into God's family as his children. And he said, I will provide everything you need because I know you can't do it for yourself. And in turn, he asks us, he tells us, he shows us to love each other as children, to love our children as they need to be loved. as we wrestle with those implications of, of all of us being children, even though we consider ourselves adults here in the world. I, I'm going to have three people come up and talk. Um, we're going to do a little kind of uh, question and answer session, and they're going to talk about their involvement and the results of those involvement with the children's ministry here at Christ Church. What a better picture of showing love to someone than the love that we do through here in the church. And so with Brian and Anne-Marie and Aaron, would you guys please come forward, take a seat on one of these stools. Right, Anne Marie, we'll have you go first. So uh, I asked these three brothers and sister, um, because they all kind of represent different various involvement and stages in, in the children's ministry here at Christchurch. So, Anne Marie, you grew up through children in the children's ministry. You came down from a little tyke up through where you are now, now in college, right? So, how did growing up in the children's ministry in Christchurch impact you and your faith?
1: Well, um, I think it gave me, like, a really good foundation to build upon now because, like, it taught me a lot as a child, as a kid and it, like, introduced me to the Christian faith in, like, a really safe space and nice, happy way. So it gave me hmm. a lot to build upon and learn now.
0: Hmm. Now, did you say that you div- – how did it affect the relationships you have with people here at Christ Church?
1: Um, it – helped me build a lot of really good relationships with a lot of the people here because the people who were a part of the children's ministry, like Doug Lemons, Linda Schwander, Kelsey Lemons, all of them, like I have really great relationships with them now. So like that really helped and it gave me something to talk about with all the adults. Like mm-hmm. when I came down after I was like, Oh, I know things now I can talk to <laughs> So
0: yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Good. Aaron, now let's go on to you. So Aaron um, what was your involvement? Can you kind of describe how you were involved
1: with the children's ministry? Yeah, I was, uh, I was a helper. Um, so I would mainly go up there the weeks that my mom, um, when my mom did the children's worship. And I played Joseph at times. I played God's voice sometimes, very <laughs> deep. Um, and then I would really helped with the, um, we do music up there. Um, so um, doing the song and dance and the Um, teaching the hand motions to some of the songs, and yeah. Yeah, so um,
0: what did you learn from your time in helping out? What did you learn from spending that time with the kids?
1: Um, Yeah, I learned how to talk through Bible stories, so sometimes when we're when we hear Bible stories as an adult, we think too deep on how does it impact our life. And, but when you're up there with the kids, it's just more of like face value. What are the Bible stories trying to teach us? And in teaching kids the stories, I learn more about the stories itself. Hmm. Um, so I it strengthen my relationship with not only the kids but with, with God and Christ
0: And so a similar question as I give to Anne-Marie. So how did you feel like you developed relationships with them? Did it help kind of open up as they grew up to
1: opportunities to talk to them, to relate to them? How's our relationship? (laughs) I knew people like Anne-Marie from when she was young, um, saw her grow. Uh, That was really rewarding to see that. I run into uh, parents of uh, the children that I've uh, helped out and even the children itself that may not go to this church anymore, but they recognize me as, uh, as somebody that was a part of uh, their lives and being a part of Grow, even if they're not in Christ Church anymore, as they grow in their spiritual journey, they, at least in the back of my mind, recognize me.
0: Good. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. All right.
1: Brian, so
0: you've got a number of kids in the children's ministry, a part of that right now. Can you tell what are their ages? Let me think about that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't prepare you for this no, question. <laughs> try, Micah, Micah is
2: 10, Ben turned nine just this past Friday, and Luke is three.
0: Luke is three. So what are your hopes for your kids as they're a part of the children's ministry here?
2: Well, I, I think that Anne-Marie and, and Aaron both probably hit upon some things, and, and Mylon, you've mentioned some things too. So a foundation, I think, is certainly very important. Um, what you value and how you treat people Mm -hmm. is I I think something that we model as the adults we model for our kids Um, but I also think what's probably the most important thing is relationships Mm -hmm. because while I think kids will remember the activities and the lessons and some of the fun things in which they do Mm -hmm. just like in school we don't remember as much about the things in which we learned as much as we do about the relationships in which we have created and we've formed and we've developed and we've kind of grown over the years. So as a parent, I would look for, you know, the folks that are working with our youth, you know, from our youngest all the way up to really develop strong relationships and just to really invest in yeah. our kids.
0: Yeah. Um, what does that do for you as a parent? So when you see those adults developing relationships with your kids, how does that impact you maybe standing afar and, and watching that interaction well it 's what I want
2: as a parent mm-hmm. um, you know i 've been in education since two thousand in various roles, from a teacher to a principal to an assistant superintendent and one of the things that I, I can speak from from the education side of things is that when i can sit back and i can watch great things going on mm-hmm. i know that there's a it, it's two way road there that kids have bought in because they know that they have adults that are trusting and that you know want the best for them and then we have adults who are invested and want the best for the kids mm-hmm. so for me I, I it just i see that as a as a two way street um but there's a lot of time there's a lot of investment and i, I think that you know it's not just the individuals who are involved with you know working with all of our kids mm-hmm. when i when i look at a church and look at a church our size so we're not a large congregation mm-hmm. there's no reason that our kids should ever come into church after a period of time and not know everybody sitting in all of these seats mm. You know, there are only so many families that yeah. are here. Yeah. This is not a congregations of thousands and thousands that yeah. people get to sit in the back row and, and find their way in and out very quickly. Yeah. You know, we, it's just, and the, but we're all here for, I think, uh, you know, a very specific reason mm. because we may not necessarily want that, mm. you know. So mm-hmm. we're here because we trust and we want our adults and we want, you know, to learn. We want our kids to learn in that process. but We also want them to really develop just strong relationships. Mm.
0: So one last thing. So you're a you've been in education for a while. You've been a former principal. You are a current school administrator employee. I'm not sure what your title is. So yes, um, I'm an assistant superintendent. Ah, assistant superintendent, man. Okay. So for those of us who, it's not
2: that big deal. So it's... <laughs> it, it's not always that fun. Let's just be honest about that.
0: So for those of us who that thought of of getting down on, on the same level as a kid and talking to them and gathering them in our arms that f- and sharing Jesus with kids, that feels very daunting. And, and it feels like, I don't know what to say. I don't feel qualified maybe to do that with kids especially or much less fellow adults. What what encouragement could you give us from your experience?
2: Probably two things. Hmm. One, it's what you just mentioned previously about Mr. Rogers. Hmm. And you were all a kid as well at one point in time um, but I think the the other thing is kids know kids just have an innate sense they know when someone's not being real with them they know when a kid when when an adult is not sincere hmm. and so even if you are a person that's not you know the the most loving uh, you know that kid you're just like oh I've done my time okay I, I, I get that sort of but most importantly, we all have a responsibility to ensure that our kids are having a, a successful experience here. So we not we want our kids to be able to hear Bible stories and we want them to be able to practice what it is that they've learned. Mm-hmm. But we all have a responsibility in that to that sense. So stopping them if they're on their way to getting a cookie, stopping them if we're dropping coins into the bucket for jingle sundays doing small things over time when you've put enough of those small things in it's an investment and so that that's the relationships i think if you want to look at them as an investment those are the things that i think really matter a great deal and will give our kids just really good quality experiences mm.
0: thanks brian all right i'd like to pray for you guys and pray for us as we close this time out oh dear father Father, your words are challenging for us, this um, redefinition of greatness and this challenge to love each other, to love our kids, to take up kids and to sit down and on their level and tell them about you and share your love, Lord. And then also to consider and remember that each one of us are children as well, and that we need to do this with each other. Lord, that that is a challenge. That is a big deal. And so, Lord, as we ponder this, we consider this, we think about what this means and we hear about this impact that um, doing has had both in the lives of, of the, the people up in here and, and, and for the kids that are currently in, this, in our church, we ask for your help. We ask for your help to be a community, to be a family that loves our kids, that loves each other, that, that are brothers and sisters, not seeking status or power or influence, but instead seeking you and the relationship that you offer us. Father, we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. So um, following up for that, I'm going to issue uh, uh, an ask, a challenge, a uh, whatnot, or some, some of this. So one of the reasons I was excited about this passage and, uh, and chose this passage is because I wanted to d- talk about our children's ministry here at Christ Church. Um, as jesus gives us this challenge right to embody greatness through that simple act of sitting down and talking with a kid as we hear about the uh, the impact that our, we have as adults even in the little interactions that we have even in just the presence that we have with our kids um i want to ask you guys if you are a member if you consider Christchurch your home church to consider and to please volunteer to be a part of our children's ministry uh, we have a a nursery, we have a room for an infant nursery back there, and we need volunteers to be a part of that on Sunday. We have a a toddler nursery, and we have Stacy, who does a fantastic job working with those kids, but she could really use a second set of hands on Sunday to work when she needs to bring someone to the bathroom, when there's a lot of kids and one's unruly, just to have someone, another adult in there. And and for our GLOW teachers, as they're teaching their lessons, just have another set of eyes and another set of hands to maybe um, help corral a child who's a little bit going the different way, or to help Clarify and spend some one-on-one attention with somebody if they need it when the rest of the group is is moving forward. And so, uh, my ask for you guys is is please sign up for that. And the way we're going to do this is at the after the service, uh, two of our deacons, Keith and Aaron, are going to be at the table by the office, and they're going to have papers there um, that we I asked if you guys would go back and you would sign them. What they are is they're a release form for a background check because we're going we want to do our due diligence for everyone that's going to be around our kids. Um, and so if you would. Go back there, meet up with Keith or Aaron and sign a background check so we can run that. And then Jenny will send an email out in this coming week uh, for the next six months. We're only asking for a six month commitment here. And so if it doesn't work after that, you know, and that's maybe if it, if everyone's doing this or if the majority of us are signing up, that's maybe one or two Sundays in that next six months that you, we would ask you to even just be a helper, just to be present. Um, and she'll Jenny will send out a schedule and you can fill in a Sunday or two or three or four that you would be available and willing to help out but it's a need we need it we um we need to have at least two adults in each one of those rooms and this is something that jesus tells us that is so important he, he gives us as an example of how we can grow in our own personal relationship and not only that if i can remind you guys that when we've baptized these kids when we've brought the baptismal up and we've we've baptized them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit we have the entire congregation stand up and you guys make a promise to each and every kid that's been baptized here you've made a promise that you will guide them and help bring them up in the faith of jesus and this is one of those tangible ways and opportunities for you to fulfill and live out that promise that you've made to each and every kid here at Christ church so once again that's that's my challenge I always be honest, I always feel nervous and weird and awkward doing one of these these things, especially during a sermon, but it's important and that's why I'm doing it, that's why I'm asking for you. So please, I encourage you to, to fill out one of those background check sh- release forms and uh, we'll take it from there. All right, but as we continue with our service, we're going to do so through communion and, and what a beautiful picture we have here at the table because as we consider that we have all been made children and under God, with God as our Father through Christ and through faith in Him. We're also acknowledging that as children, we can't fulfill our own needs. We need an adult to help us. We need an adult to provide for us. We can't do it for ourselves. And at this table, we have that tangible reminder and that tangible expression of Jesus providing for us, saying that through His body and through His blood, He has given us what we need, and He will continue to give us what we need. so as you come up this, to this table, as you come to participate in here at Christ Church, we, are, we practice an open table, meaning that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are welcome to come and partake at this table. I invite you to consider that, to be thinking of that, to do it in remembrance, and also in celebration that we have a Father who takes care of us. A Father who will always be there for us, who is always loving and willing and desiring to be in relationship with us. A couple notes as we um, take communion. One is that there's an offering plate here. If you're a member of Christ's church, this is your opportunity to give generously to the ministries and the, the, the uh, different things that we do here at the church. And so please give generously. But if you're a guest or visitor, please do not feel any obligation to give your presence here is your gift for us. Um, and lastly, on the tray, there's different cups on the inner, inner circle or lighter colored um, juice on the Outer circle is darker color. The inner circle is wine. The outer circle is grape juice. And so please take what's appropriate for you when you come up. All right. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took, The cup, and as he poured it out, he said, this is my blood, a New Testament for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. The elders, please come forward to help serve.